0: You win as a team, you lose as a team, you celebrate as a team, and I'm getting tired of this bullshit. Stay away then. We do have breaking news on this 417th episode of unscripted as we welcome you to our little program mike and chris with you the edmonton oilers who let me tell you folks they did not have a good last year as you well know chris's favorite team one that i'm liking more and more every time especially when they brought in the new general manager ken holland and dave tippett seems to be doing some really good things behind the bench but management also thought that jeez James Neal can make a contribute can make a contribution to our lineup, and geez, so can this guy, Mike Smith, who didn't have a very good two-year stint in Calgary, and for a lot of plethora of reasons. But Mike Smith stops fifty-one shots on Saturday afternoon against the Pittsburgh Penguins, and the Edmonton Oilers snap a six-game losing streak overall to the Penguins with a two-to-one win, and. That has got to have made my partner's Saturday afternoon a lot more pleasurable.
1: Oh, it was great. Uh, I was just happy to see them go to overtime, especially getting doubled in shots, and uh, then to actually pull it out. As... But I mean, I'm not that surprised. In overtime, uh, Leon Draisaitl and Connor McDavid are the best one-two punch in the NHL, the best duo, period. But they are also the greatest overtime three-on-three duo in history. And I know 3-on-3 three three doesn't have that much history, but there's no question they're the best. Almost every time they're on a proper 2-on-1, the puck's in the back of the net. And it's just amazing. And they are just unreal as a combo. And I'm so glad. Imagine if we don't take him in 2014 and, you know, Calgary gets him or something and instead of Sam Bennett. Uh, I mean, jeez, that would be terrifying. But so glad to have Leon Dreisaitl. And yeah, he, he gets another one, draws the penalty, streaking in scores anyway somehow. And like I was mentioning uh, to you earlier, Mike, I just think it's so interesting how the two guys who scored 50 last year, Ovechkin and Dreisaitl, are the two that are the most likely to just beat anybody with a simple wrist shot. They can, they can just put it where they need to, and uh, very few can do that. Most people need, uh, like Stamkos needs his one-timer slap shot, and some of the guys need their dekes and everything. Uh, Leon and Ovechkin can just beat you with a wrist shot, and that's what's so terrifying about them.
0: Well, again, an unbelievable start to this season for the Edmonton Oilers. Um, Right off the top of my head, I don't know the numbers, but I do know that the number was probably in the 30 to 35 range last year of games that they've won. And this game has already put Edmonton at 10 wins for this season. And uh, wow. And Mike Smith couldn't play goal in Calgary, but he's going up to Edmonton and he's stopping 51 out of 52 shots in an overtime game against the Pittsburgh Penguins. So congratulations to the Oilers. The beat continues on in Edmonton, and uh, good on them. Well done. Um, Talking about my not-so-favorite National Hockey League team, but I do have to bring this up in regard to a scheduling quirk. And in this day and age, folks, with these big palaces that these teams play in, but scheduling, I would imagine, becomes really tricky. If you're trying to, let's just take, for example, where the Flames will be playing on Sunday evening, the, the the building in Washington, D.C., which houses the Washington Wizards basketball team, the Washington Capitals hockey team, and obviously a plethora of other things. So obviously scheduling in the 21st century, scheduling of sporting events becomes really a tricky thing. It really does. Um, how many events do you have? that use that building during the year. And obviously, the professional sports teams are the number one and number one A tenants. They get first crack. I get that. But there are still, obviously, a lot of scheduling challenges. How would you like to be the guy that schedules events at the Staples Center in Los Angeles, considering that the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Kings all consider and all call the Staples Center home? It's a little easier if you only got one professional team, like in Calgary and Edmonton. Obviously, it's easier to schedule events for Flames and Oilers home games when you're the only team in town, but I found this to be an unbelievably weird scheduling quirk in the National Hockey League involving our local hockey team here in Calgary. The Flames last Tuesday were in Carolina for a game against the Carolina Hurricanes, which they lost. Then on Thursday, they went to Nashville to take on the Predators in a game that they won 6-5 to five in overtime. That's Thursday night. So after the game on Thursday night, they fly back to Calgary for a Saturday night game, which will be played in a couple of hours here in Calgary as we're broadcasting, uh, broadcasting to you or with you or whatever is the word, here on Saturday, November the 2nd. They have a game that starts at 5 o'clock local tonight here in Calgary. And then tomorrow they go, they have a game again tonight, Saturday night here in Western Canada. Tomorrow they've got a 5 o'clock Eastern time game against the Capitals in Washington. I think that is ludicrous that the Flames are having to fly cross-country twice over a three-day period. Why couldn't you, when the Flames were in, Again, they were in Raleigh, North Carolina on Tuesday, Nashville, Tennessee on Thursday. Why couldn't they have scheduled a game against the Capitals for maybe Saturday and left them in the, on the eastern, eastern part of the United States instead of going from the eastern seaboard to western Canada, play a hockey game, jump on a plane, and go back to the eastern seaboard? I know, as I just mentioned, that scheduling can be really tricky. But that's a bit ludicrous. And you brought up a great point, Chris. I had mentioned to this, Chris, before we started taping. And Chris, you know, there are going to be some anomalies during the course of an 82-game schedule. I get that. I get that better than most. But I think this is ridiculous, considering that the Flames were on the Eastern Seaboard and then... They go back to Western Canada and they're back on the eastern seaboard six days later. I think that's ridiculous. And I would be, and it's funny because the, I don't know what the celebration is, but the Capitals are going to be celebrating something on Sunday night. I mean, obviously they've had their trophy presentation and everybody's, you know, whatever they're doing, they're, they're honoring somebody on Sunday night in Washington. I can almost guarantee you that the Flames will lose that game just because they will have zero energy. They'll have no... The Flames will come out as flat as... Uh, I'm not going to go there, but very, very flat. Let's just say that. They'll come out very, very flat. And this should almost, in my eyes, should be a guaranteed win for the Washington Capitals. <laughs>
1: Yeah, like I said, it's going to be a really, uh, you know, tough slog once in a while for any professional sports team. It's very complex to make those schedules and they sit down. I know with the NFL one, especially, uh, and that one doesn't have nearly as many games to organize. And even that one is so complex. Nowadays, they come up with like 100,000 combinations there of schedules. And it's just crazy how they weed them all out and finally find the right one. And I've told the story before, I saw a special One time, some sort of show or documentary where they talked about back in the day, they literally had one guy make the NFL schedule. Yeah. And he literally would sit there and stare at the wall. And he always had a big bowl of macadamia nuts. And he'd sit there and eat macadamia nuts and stare at the wall for a while. And he'd get up and make one move. And like, okay, this game on this day at this stadium. Hmm. He'd sit back down, eat his macadamia nuts and whatever. We've come a far away. We're now a computer. It takes all the variables and factors them all in.
0: I also don't think... Now, remember back in the day, and it was always difficult. I always remember this, hearing this specifically. Let's go back to the early days of the Oilers and Flames in Alberta. The Flames and the Oilers always had to go from, let's say, Edmonton to Dallas and then catch a connector to wherever they were going, or to Chicago if they were going to East, or to Salt Lake City or Denver if they were going West. There was never a straight flight on commercial airlines for the Flames and the Oilers, because of the uniqueness as, as to where they were located. Thank God you have private charters now. There's no way that the Flames would have been able to accomplish this if they were still flying commercial. Mm-hmm. They have, obviously, they have access to a charter flight. When and... did that start? Boy, um, well, I'm going to say, uh, well, you know, the first team to do it was the San Francisco 49ers. Eddie okay. DeBartolo bought a plane when he was the owner of the 49ers and that I think led to a lot of success that the 49ers had under DeBartolo's regime because they did everything first class the 49ers were the first team to have their own dedicated charter and obviously once it were all a copycat league so once one guy did it somebody else was going to follow and of course once Eddie DeBartolo had one Jerry Jones had to get one and Daniel Schneider had to get one and all the rest of the big time owners of the National Football League. They all now travel via charter. But can you imagine if you were trying to accomplish what the Flames are going to have to do during the days of commercial travel? Oh my God, that would be that would be a nightmare. It's going to be bad enough. The only obviously the only saving grace is the only guys on the airplane when they travel charter is the team itself. But I just can't believe that in this day and age, and again, I, I get it. I get it. The uniqueness of trying to set up schedules, an 82-game schedule for 31 teams has got to be enough to drive to someone drinking. I get that. But I just think it's ridiculous when you make a National Hockey League team fly cross-country twice over a three-day period. World Series is where we're going next. Congratulations to the Washington Nationals who um, defied all odds uh, we're down in the wild card game, beat the Milwaukee Brewers, beat Josh Hader, went on to the division series, faced the Los Angeles Dodgers, won 106 games during the regular season. Los Angeles Dodgers lose to the Washington Nationals in six games. They had Clayton Kershaw on the ropes, and guys took him deep twice in the eighth inning, and all of a sudden. See you later, bye, to the Los Angeles Dodgers, who a lot of people believe after winning seven consecutive National League West Division championships that it's time for the Dodgers to win another World Series championship, which they haven't done since 1988. Then they go on and sweep the St. Louis Cardinals uh, in the National League Division Series. And then they end the World Series against the 107-win Houston Astros teams. And you know what, folks? There have been 115 World Series played in the history of Major League Baseball. 115 World Series. This is the first time in the 115-year history of World Series play, this is the first time that all seven games have been won by the visiting team. That's unfathomable to me. Washington wins the first two in Houston. Houston comes back and wins the next three in Washington. They go back to Houston, Minute Maid Park, and the Nationals beat the Astros twice in their home barn to take home the uh, World Series championship. Congratulations to Davey Martinez. And I was talking to Chris at lunch about this. Think about this. After 50 games of this season, the Washington Nationals' record was 19-31. and 31. And Davey Martinez was believed was very close to getting fired. Mike Rizzo, the general manager, I believe is a guy that gave him the second life, gave him another chance, thought, you know, we've just been underperforming. we got to get our you-know-what together and we're going to get our you-know-what together. And guess what? They did a St. Louis Blues on us. They came from a 19-31 and 31 record at the 50-game mark of this just-completed Major League Baseball season and they went on and beat the Brewers, the Dodgers, the Cardinals, and the Astros to win their first World Series championship, and I know, I know Chris is going to comment about Ariel Helwani, the great writer for the UFC, and he's a Montreal native, he doesn't acknowledge anything involving the Washington Nationals, because that of course is the old Montreal Expos, but god damn it, I'm happy There are some Montreal people, I would assume, that are a little bit happy about this because this is the team that was the Montreal Expos. It's been well-documented on this program by me specifically that the Montreal Expos could have and should have won the 1994 World Series if there had been one. And here we are in 2019 against the greatest odds of odds, a a team that won 92 games during the regular season, beating a team that won 107 games during the regular season to bring home a World Series championship. And congratulations to the Washington Nationals.
1: Yeah, I don't know if the Montreal fans uh, have supported them. I'd love to see a breakdown on how many have stayed with them and still cheer for them. Because as I mentioned before, Ariel, Ariel Helwani, the MMA reporter, he... Uh, you know, he can't stand the Nationals and he was a huge Expos fan and he just resents them existing. So I have no idea what Montreal Expos fans think about this, but I do like when a franchise or a city gets a championship it's never won before. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, I mean, who would have thought 15 years ago there was no Nationals and now there's a, you know, the city gets a World Series, so that's just a neat thing, I think, instead of the Yankees winning it for the millionth time or something, I think that's really neat, so I'm happy for them, Houston's won before, so, I mean, whatever, they've had lots of success, they've got lots of money, they're a top team, whatever, it was nice to see a smaller team or a less known team, Uh, amazing that the Rays made the playoffs, you know, the A's did so well, the Nationals win the World Series, Uh, so a good year for baseball, which really needs more parity, so... Uh, Overall, I'm happy with the result.
0: Um, Quite a statement. I I do have to make a comment on this, and I'm not going to get into a political thing. I refuse to do that. Um, But it was quite a statement from national fans, and I just was made aware of this just a couple days ago. Quite a statement from nationals fans from last Sunday night's Game 5 in Washington when President Trump was shown in attendance at Game 5 and he was shown on the Jumbotron after getting booed, Nats fans started to chant, lock him up. Quite an endorsement for the 45th president of the United States, huh? Um, I found that funny. I also, and the reason I brought that up was because again, and I, I have huge issue with this. I really do. Um, supposedly next Monday or Tuesday, I think it's Tuesday. I'm not sure, but early, early this upcoming week, the, uh, champion nationals are scheduled to visit the white house for uh, championship winning teams i think this practice needs to stop right now in regard to the visits to the white house under the trump administration and the reason i say that is that a relief pitcher of the washington nationals by the name of sean doolittle says he won't visit the white house because trump's actions don't respect the office okay fine and dandy okay okay I just believe, and this is the old school in me. I'm 55 now. I'm getting older by the day. We all are, folks. But anyway, I feel that you win as a team, you lose as a team, and you celebrate as a team. If you're not going to show up at the White House, I think that's disrespectful if you don't come en masse, if you don't come as a group. I mean, we know that the, uh, the goaltender... Uh, originally from Saskatchewan, from the Washington Capitals, didn't go to the White House thing after the Capitals won a couple of years ago. We know that Joey Cora and a number member, a number of members of the Boston Red Sox, didn't go last year because of their their beliefs and their their disdain for Mr. Trump. You know what? I think that we need to stop this stuff right now. If you're not going to show up as a team and respect the office of the President of the United States. I don't care if it's Mr. Trump. I don't care if it's Obama. I don't care if it's Franklin Delano Roosevelt that's in the freaking White House. If you come to celebrate your team's championship, then you come as a team or you stay away as a team. None of this half hass none of this some guys show, some guys don't. I know freedom of speech, freedom of liberty, freedom of everything else, freedom of expression, fine. But in team sports, It's my belief that if one or two or three or ten guys don't believe with the current beliefs of the administration, you don't go as a team. You win as a team, you lose as a team, you celebrate as a team. And if you don't do that, then you eliminate the showing up as a team. That is my belief. If you disagree with me, that's fine. Please leave your disagreements on one of our nine different social media avenues. But again, there is nothing more important in team sports than camaraderie in my opinion and you're not showing any camaraderie when guys don't show up if you've got issues with the current sitting president of the united states fine but then on a baseball team all 25 guys don't show we don't we don't uh we win together and again i don't keep sounding repetitive but 25 guys on a hockey roster if a couple disagree then 25 don't go to the white house there are 15 guys on a basketball NBA, on a, on a, uh, an NBA roster. Then 15 guys show up or nobody shows up. I'm getting sick and tired about these guys that are trying to send some kind of message or they're trying to show their displeasure, whatever. Fine. Start a podcast, go on somebody's talk show, write a, an article for a newspaper and express your displeasure. But when you win a team sport as a team, You win a championship. You win as a team. You lose as a team. You celebrate as a team. And I'm getting tired of this bullshit of these individuals that because of their beliefs or their ideologies don't jive with what Mr. Trump is doing. Stay away then. Don't waste taxpayers' time by making these, you know, uh, 17 out of 25 guys, or four out of 25 guys, or on an NFL roster, 47 out of 53. You show up 53, 25, 25, or 15, or you don't show up at all.
1: This was always going to be the natural conclusion to virtue signaling, which, of course, is what everyone has to do nowadays. You always have to advertise, oh, I think this. And so that all right. the people that have the same opinion as you like you, and like, oh, he's one of us. And then you get to always just. Show off what your opinions are, and it's just basic tribalism, and it's really boring. And uh, I don't know, people think they're saving the world because they don't go to the White House or something. It's unbelievable. Just, I mean, just fucking go and take a picture and shut the fuck up. Thank you. Yeah, I mean,
0: be there for your teammates. Yeah, you just accomplished a great thing by winning a a major championship in your respected uh, chosen field. Put your bullshit aside for a couple of hours at most. Go get a free meal get all the pictures taken, but be there as a member of that team. It just drives me crazy because there's so many of us that would love the opportunity to A, be on a team that wins a championship and God forbid to go hang out at the Rose Garden for a couple hours. I don't give a flying rat's ass about what your beliefs or ideologies are about Mr. Trump. We all have a a favorite and a non-favorite guy. But my God, you do something that only one other that that you are the only team in that particular year that takes home the big ring, takes home the big prize, and you've got guys that are going to stay away from the Rose Garden celebration. Then I think we eliminate the Rose Garden. And depending on who wins in uh November of 2020, then maybe we reinstitute it at that time. But this wishy-washy crap of trying to uh, get your message across or get your thought across. No, it's not about you as an individual. It's about your team accomplishing great things in a team environment. And that's where I have a problem.
1: Well, it's just such an inflated, uh, amount of self-importance that these guys have. They think that if they even show up in a building, they're endorsing everything that goes on there and should be getting paid. Uh, Yeah. And that they're just so important and oh, I can't even go, I can't even bless you with my presence unless I agree with everything that you agree with. It's like, oh, there's so many issues with that. It's ridiculous. But that's where society is now as we struggle to figure things out and move forward as a species. But anyway, yeah. So, I mean, don't go. But yeah, it's just, it's ridiculous. I can't guarantee that, uh, you know, future presidents are going to be much less divisive. I mean, it's easy to look at Trump and see he's bombastic and, everything and he's you know he's very strong and decisive and people hate that when he's and he's unapologetic like he never apologizes for anything which nothing pisses people off these days more than that than someone who you candidly and they just want they want to be able to you know do something and make him apologize for it and he just refuses to ever do it and it drives people crazy and that's why they hate him so much because you're supposed to be able to knock people down a few pegs these days and be able to cluck your tongue at something they did and then they back off a bit and kind of apologize and then you feel like you're elevated and you're on their level now because yeah they're just like you but they just got lucky I guess and so they're ahead of you but see I made him apologize he's really at my level well guess what but no, you're not the president, so shut the fuck up and fuck off.
0: One last World Series note that uh, I enjoyed, and um, as again, I we welcome you and say hello and thank you for tuning in to episode number 417 of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Found it funny seeing a video of Bryce Harper, of course, if you don't know, Bryce Harper used to be the right fielder of the Washington Nationals, and in the offseason, just before the start of this 2018, or I guess it's the 2019 season of Major League Baseball. They don't skip the season, they just they're they're all in. But anyway, found it funny seeing a video of Bryce Harper's introductory introductory news conference after signing his 12 year $333 million contract with the Phillies last late March. During that introductory news conference, Harper goes on to say, and I can't wait to bring a title back to DC. (laughs) problem (laughs) problem mr geography major from uh southern nevada community college that's where bryce harper went to college for one year before he started playing baseball harper goes on to say again i can't wait to bring back a title to dc problem bryce you idiot you had just signed a 333 million dollar contract over a 12-year period with the philadelphia phillies not the washington nationals I guess it's funny, and Chris made the observation he's right on, as usually, as usual, Chris made the observation that, yeah, he did help D.C. just win this latest World Series championship by not being the right fielder for the Washington Nationals because they could go out and enhance their pitching staff, and without Bryce Harper, they found a place for Juan Soto to play. And if you watched any of the World Series games, you know how good young Mr. Soto was at just turned 21 years old, how good he was. And the money that they saved by not, by not signing Harper, they bring in Patrick Corbin, and you put him in there along with Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg, who ultimately was named World Series MVP, Strasburg was. You put him in there with Annabelle Sanchez. You've got a pretty damn good starting four rotation right there. And it was the pitching of the Nationals that led them to a World Series championship.
1: Yeah, it really was, and uh, you know, I was talking to people, even even uh, like our our buddy Greg, and I mean, he he tries to watch baseball. He's a baseball coach, and um, and he's he still I don't think watched as much as he'd like to. Uh, I have another friend who usually watches World Series. He watched about two innings. So I, th- <laughs> you know, I I think that uh, and and I I didn't get the feeling, at least, that from talking to people, that many people were that into the World Series this year. So uh, I'm wondering if that is that. Due to the just a decline in baseball in general, is that the teams that were playing? I don't really know, but and maybe yeah, maybe it's just baseball in general. But did you feel like people were really watching the World Series, or that was a big deal?
0: I no, I I don't think it's as big a deal anymore. And I'll give you a perfect example: Game five last Sunday night, the the President Trump appearance game. Fox was televising the World Series, obviously, with Joe Buck and John Smoltz. And I want to give credit to John Smoltz. He is a very good baseball analyst. Here's a former all-star pitcher that puts it in layman's terms. He doesn't try to blow you away with baseball analytics. He just throws it out there on a silver platter, and it's good analysis. And And it's attainable for anybody that is watching baseball to understand what the hell he's saying. So I give John Smoltz a lot of credit. But here's an example of why baseball isn't the game it used to be. You're sitting there during the fall classic, as they always like to call it, the World Series. Over on NBC on Sunday night, there was a little football game between the Green Bay Packers and the Kansas City Chiefs. Guess who won the ratings war two to one that night? Oh, football. Damn straight. I don't have to say anything else. There it is right there. A football, a regular season. Now, again, the buildup was Patrick Mahomes versus Aaron Rodgers. I get it. But a regular season National Football League game still is outdrawing on television. The Nielsen rating numbers were 2-1 to better for the football game versus Game 5 of the World Series. What does that tell you? What it tells me is that even though there are problems in Jane Goodell's Husband's League, the National Football League is still hands down the number one spectator sport in North America. No question. Real quick before we get out of here on this uh, 417th uh, episode of Unscripted, I just wanted to throw this out there real quick before we leave. Um, Got a million things to talk about, but, and maybe, I well, I think I'll wait for that one but I do want to send out congratulations to the newest hired managers in Major League Baseball. There were a bunch of firings this year in Major League Baseball, and I want to congratulate the guys that have replaced the outgoing managers of these respective clubs. I want to send out a special congratulations to Carlos Beltran, who was just this morning named the new manager of the New York Mets. He will be officially introduced uh, on a Monday press conference in NYC. Uh, Beltran to the Mets. Also, congratulations to Joe Girardi, who finds his way back into a major league dugout next year as he will be the manager of the Philadelphia Phillies. David Ross, former Cubs catcher, former Red Sox catcher, former analyst for ESPN. You know what? What is it with ESPN analysts? They're not that talented. Jesus Christ, they hire Anthony McFarlane, for Christ's sake. (laughs) But David Ross is the new manager of the Chicago Cubs. Mike Matheny is the new manager of the Kansas City Royals. Joe Madden, no surprise here. Joe Madden uh, is now the new manager of the Los Angeles Angels. And some individual, I've never heard of this guy. Jace Tingler is the new manager of the San Diego Padres. And I'm telling you, folks, if the Padres can find a few more pieces along with Manny Machado, Fernando uh, Tatis Jr. They still got the first baseman out there. I can't remember his name, but he was with the Kansas City Royals when they won the World Series back in 15. Um, Eric Hosmer, I believe, is his name off the top. They've got a base there in San Diego to, pretty, to be a pretty damn good team. Plus, it's San Diego, which is one of the prettiest cities in all of America. So congratulations to those guys. And the only team, as we speak here on November the second, that doesn't have a manager is the Pittsburgh, and Pang- the Pittsburgh Pirates. Excuse me, Pittsburgh. Since the off season, has fired their president of baseball operations. They just fired their general manager, and they fired their field manager, Clint Hurdle. If you have a baseball resume and you want to get into the major leagues, now's the time to submit your resume to the Pittsburgh uh, Pirates organization. Because hell. You got a three, you got a pretty good chance of at least getting an interview with three openings available of higher management in Pittsburgh. We've got a run on this 417th episode of Unscripted. We thank you as always for contributing and being part of it and hope that you continue to do so. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.